Are you two fisting? I'm your host, Danny Paul. With me tonight in the Bob Media Studios is, of course, our vice hosts. He is the Baron of Bourbon, the Region of Rage, the Roy Kent of Rancho Santa Margarita. That's right, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Love the intro. Danny, that was, that was beautiful, Danny. <laughs> Bringing tears to my eyes. Yeah, you know what brings tears to my eyes? Our other vice host is joining us after a long, sad... And dearly missed absence. That's right. He is the Pharaoh of finance, the Sultan of sport, the Khan of Contra Costa County. Mr. Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes! It is nice to be back. I um, I need to apologize to all the Bobs out there for my long absence. It's uh, been a rough road these last few months, and it's still got another month or two left. But glad I could see uh, these smiling gentlemen in the Bob Media studio. Well, well, one of the cast time to get into you, that, but uh, yeah, one of the casts you missed. We were uh, we we spoke about how hard the last couple months have been. It's just it's it, just snowballing for everyone. We're just trying to keep above yeah. water. It's like yeah, our I, life is like the market, and everything went down, and our lives went down with it. But we're back. We're bad with something that you never had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of round we got tonight, gentlemen? Ooh, a good question. I'll, I'll start because I got two, but they're the same. So I don't know if you gentlemen were talking about doing some of the own um, staving at your home. So I'm just drinking the straight Buffalo Trace here, but the uh, starting off there and then I head over to my uh, six week aged in um, stave to get the tasting difference here. It's a little bit sweeter. It's American oak. So looking forward to that. Is that the, the spiral wood thing? That it wasn't. It's not fire. It's just carved is really what it is. And just kind of, you put it into a Mason jar and you let it sit for six weeks and it just completely changes the profile. Staving is what we call it. Right. I call it, I'm, I'm not sure what the bourbon people, I imagine it's the same thing where basically you're taking sticks of wood and allowing it to age. Yeah. I didn't do the strict six weeks thing. Good for you. I got some, uh, I got some half pints in my cabinet that still have the wood in them. Oh, you're going deep and dark. They are extremely dark and the wood is not disintegrated yet but mm -hmm. i gotta say what did i get i got uh, i got black eagle which Ooh. is you know whatever comes in a handle and that's what we did and i mixed it up and uh, i doled it out to some of the neighbors and i'm waiting to hear from it but it was a very interesting experience mr jones so i'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it leon what's your brown tonight tonight i'm rocking heaven hill bottled in bond seven-year-old so i be it's wicked awesome. Nice. I've had a nice little thing on the shelves at the Bevmos when I was um, kind of doing the husband bench thing. Like there's a there's a store right next to the Bevmo that I got pulled into, and after a while, I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. So there's no boyfriend bench to sit on, like at like at a Nordstrom's. So I went outside and I went over to Bevmo, and I, that was my boyfriend bench, and I found Johnny Walker High Rye. Whoa. Ooh. Not a corked bottle, a screw top. However, very mm. pleasing to the palate, I must say. Hmm. A little sweeter? Yeah, for sure. Smoky sweet. Smoky yeah. sweet. Uh, sweet, yeah. Sweet. I wouldn't I wouldn't say smoky. I would say sweet. And I got it on the rocks tonight. So it's it's very okay. refreshing. Wet it wet. It's very nice. Wet it wet. I like refresh. Wet it refreshed. Yes, we got good brass tonight, gentlemen. Way to go. And now that we're done talking about brown. Let's talk about brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's talk about brown comes from lifehacker.com. And no particular reason for 
a story of this magnitude, but I was very curious because it is an effigy that we often uttered in our youth. And I'm sure if we have any Bobs in their 20s right now, they're probably uttering this to themselves. And it turns out that beer before liquor is a good rhyme, but it doesn't actually mean anything. What hard before beer? Yeah, hard before beer, you're in the clear. Uh, Beer before whiskey, getting risky. There's a lot of different uh, variations on it. But uh, this is from Lifehacker, so there's an element of uh, hashtag science. And it was, uh, it was interesting how they describe it. Now, I have heard contradictory arguments that suggest the carbonation in beer causes your stomach to absorb alcohol faster, which would put some truth to it. But this article in no uncertain terms says, that's dumb, you're stupid. So I thought, why not we talk about it together? As Let's get hammered. The Bob if nothing else, this is an educational show, and we need to bring this to the Bobs. I think if there was going to be an audio version of describing this podcast, it would be, huh. So I want to get right to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of mythology well baked into drinking culture. You might believe, for instance, that once you pee during a night out, you're doomed to make nonstop trips back to the bathroom because you... Broke the seal. Broke the seal. But that's not true. That's a real thing. No, nope. that's a real Bullshit. thing. No. That's real. That's science. That's, I'm, here. I'm looking at the I've words. I tested here. it. The words here okay. say it's not true from the person who wrote this. We'll find out later. Uh, you might also believe that the hair of the dog will help you get over a hangover. That's false, too. Garbage. Another Bullshit. old adage that gets thrown around a lot beer before liquor, never sicker. Liquor before beer, in the clear. I'm already very skeptical of this because well, the first two that's, are that's fact. very on brand for Leon. <laughs> that claim suggests that if you start your night with beer before switching to something harder, you'll be sick either that night or the next day. But if you start your night out with the hard stuff and move on to beer, you'll be fine. Is that true? Let's find out. Why do people say that? Well, we've all had too much to drink before. We all know how it feels to go to bed with the spins, waking up feeling sick and spend the next day with a terrible headache. The fact is that we at fault for overindulging every single time, but it's easier to put the blame on something else. In this case, the order in which the previous night's many, many drinks were consumed. Since it's common to start off a night with beers, say at a tailgate, kickback, or a pregame before moving on to shots or mixed drinks once you get to the bar and the party vibes intensify, you might be inclined to blame the order rather than the amount. Understandable, but wrong. You guys ever get the spins? Oh yeah, having it. I mean, I don't anymore. anymore. Not anymore. Like I can't. Like that amount of alcohol would cost me too much money. Oh yeah, you got to put a foot in the ground. It's it's awful. I have done the tripod out the urinal though. You know, you just <laughs> lean up with your head only, hands behind you. That that's happened. Just feel the cool. <laughs> I was just stretching my back, guys. Feel I was the just cool stretching of the my back wall. Out. Uh, here's the thing. Here, here's here's the here's the thing. Alcohol is alcohol. No matter what kind of alcohol it is, it can still get you drunk and still produce a hangover. Similarly, it can still make you sick. There's no magic liquor or beer that will prevent you from feeling gross if you drink too much. If there were, we would absolutely know about it by now. And the operative words there are too much. Ah, here we go. Per Healthline, healthline.com. Alcohol starts to be absorbed into your bloodstream the moment it hits your stomach. So by the time you feel hungover... This doesn't apply to, to anal ingestion. This is only stomach <laughs> ingestion. Got it. Nose yeah. as well. Yeah, just just to be clear. Just specify that for all the listeners out there. To be determined. The moment it hits your stomach, so by the time you feel hungover the next day, you've already taken in everything you drank the night before. The order is really irrelevant. That article also points out that the order in which types of alcohol are imbibed can cause certain people to consume more than they would if they did things the other way around. Look at your own habits. After a beer buzz, are you more likely to agree when your friend declares it's time for a round of shots? Conversely, after you've had a few mixed drinks, are you grossed out by the thought of a filling beer? Comments from the vice hosts? I get the logic there. I, I get it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
All right. All right. I, I can smell your skepticism. While it's clear this is subjective and based entirely on a person's own habits, there is also some hard scientific evidence to back up the phoniness of claims that drinking orders matter at all. A study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2019 dispelled the myth, finding after studying 90 participants that, quote, neither type nor order of consumed alcoholic beverages significantly affected hangover intensity, unquote. That study also debunked a different but similar urban legend that I am a strong proponent of myself, grape or grain, but never the twain. Those of us who foolishly mm. believe in that one swear that there's no hangover the next day as long as you stick to the same kind of drink all night. Still, while the study effectively dumped water or light beer, if you prefer, all over that theory, ouch, I'm still mm. sticking with it, but with the firm knowledge, it's bullshit. Why? Because whether it's because I drink less when I stick to one type of alcohol or because I believe it so strongly that I placebo affect myself into feeling better the next day, I really do suffer fewer ill effects when I don't mix my poisons. If a certain myth resonates with you, feel free to use it as a guide next time you go out. Just know that there's no science to back it up. I think that when they're talking about there's no science to back up this claim oh okay but when you're mixing drinks you're feeling it and everyone's got their thing everybody's body is chemically different right if i drink sugary drinks i'm smoked i'm totally gonna get a headache i know it if i mm -hmm. stick to uh drinking coors light all day I might be a little bit dehydrated with cotton mouth the next day, but I'll be okay. But if I drink Budweiser or anything heavy like wheats or IPAs, I'm smoked. I, I know that. You start to figure out what you, that's what college is all about. That's your jam, man. <laughs> that's, you're supposed to figure out what hurts you. And you then you start to. pain hangovers? And are they unique? Oh, oh yeah. I think they're the worst. Okay. Like yeah. pounding it. Well, you know why? And this is my, my last point, which is one of the reasons I drink good bourbon now is because I do think you get what you pay for. I drink crappy bourbon or crappy whiskey. I got a headache. I can get slammed on the good stuff. No headache. I don't think that's just placebo. I think there's other, other factors at play. And when we buy champagne, we're cheap about it. Let's be honest. We don't drink it that often. The distilling process, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's the bubbles. Maybe nothing good comes out of France whatsoever. <laughs> Jeez. I, don't, I don't know that that's true. Wine. That's, um, what, that's what Napa's for. That's what Napa's for. No, I totally agree with you. I think the, the sweet sugary drinks is like, we've all been there where you're just basically drinking that, I don't know, the, you know, painkillers or the Hawaiian, the uh, I'm thinking hurricanes, kamikazes, but all that stuff. It just gets sweet. I mean, I don't know. My cocktail of choice is a sweet drink, but I don't drink 10 of them either. I think it's moderation for you, but um, we do find what our, what our lane is. And when we start getting out of our lane, eh, we pay the price. It's just that simple. I'm definitely that way, you know, I and I think sage you, advice, my friend. Yeah. Leah, Leon's comment on you get what you pay for. That may work for a few people out there, but most people I know, yeah, you're right. It, if you start dripping the, uh, the the bottom tier of the uh, liquor store, you're going to feel it if you start getting a little heavy. You can get away with it for like one or two drinks, but you start adding a little extra in it, you're going to feel it in the morning. And we all can't afford to, I don't know about you guys, but the worst is being hungover with a kid who's crying because he needs a diaper change mm. and you're just stuck suffering through that. Hashtag say yeah. It's a hard pass. <laughs> Luckily, we had a few years to kind of figure it out before we were too young. So Hashtag, that's what your wife's for. <laughs> there you go. Hashtag. Well, what happens if the wife was the one drinking with you and she's in worse shape than you are? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag dream we'll some wild nights. That's, a, that's finding the right partner is what that is. <laughs> Hashtag pump and dump. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing today? I'm pumping and dumping. Yeah. <laughs> That's fabulous. Oh. All right. Uh, 25 seconds. Here we go. Worst shot you've ever had to take. Go. <sighs> Three, wise night. Three wise men. Sorry, mate. I, had I haven't to done take, a cement mixer just because I, I had to bad. do something. A cement mixer. Oh, I had to do something called come in the tub, which is where they Ooh. put together vodka and Goldschlager and a straw full of milk. 
<laughs> you know, that would put me right, <laughs> right on the toilet with a bucket in my hands. While the bobs that, that at me. home are ready to uh, gag themselves and vomit. <laughs> I'm, not take do- a break. I'm not, I'm not doing the mudslide story. That's not happening. <laughs> Is Bill getting this? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Tonight's business news comes to us from Inc. Magazine, I-N-C. And the title is something topical that we're going to go into that we don't normally go into, which is real headline News type news, but I thought it was interesting because of the return of Mr. Jones and we can get a finance bend on it. Uh, why this recession will be different from any other. Now, I am not a finance professional, but I have some insights in this. And I know that Leon's been dying to talk about this. So let's get into this. Business owners need to be on the lookout and take these eight steps to mitigate risk. Mm. Daily coverage of a recession has been nauseating. It's true that two thirds of economists believe a recession is likely to occur in 2023. But this correction or soft landing will present conditions unlike any we have seen in the U.S. in our lifetime. In historic terms, there's never been a U.S. recession during full employment. And many pontificators are struggling to reconcile a downturn in the face of such a torrid job market. Uh, There's probably nothing in here about the yield curve either, but some of the normal indicators of recession uh, up to and including two quarters of what negative growth, Jay? Mm-hmm. is usually what signifies a recession. That's, a, that's the trigger. That's so, the, oh, there it is. Definition. We can say it happened. It's right uh, yeah. there. That's the identifier. Today, there are twice as many jobs as there are people looking for them. Similarly, while housing transactions are down, year-to-year prices are still up 5%. Strong demand for housing. Uh, it doesn't feel like a bubble, even at higher interest rates. So in hindsight, it's clear that the Federal Reserve waited too long to raise rates as it dismissed inflation as temporary. According to the journal of the street of wall federal reserve officials have since indicated that they quote accept the risks of causing a recession because they are determined to prevent something they view as worse a change in consumer psychology that could sustain high inflation on july 13th the labor department announced the consumer price index had increased 9.1 percent over the prior year now before i get into these uh top eight here leon Oh, no, I'm definitely deferring to Mr. Jones first. I mean, okay, this is his right. world. I definitely have a lot of comments <laughs> on this. Jones, this is your milieu. Well, I'm dark. I mean, it's obvious. I think, look, we're at, okay. If you just, you know, break out the textbook for economics, this is a really interesting time for people because we get to really live through something that's real. We've been living through cause where we can basically pinpoint a reason for a recession in this case it's very interesting because it's not one thing it's like you could pick how many seven eight like there's a lot of things that are affecting things so in past one things that we've been living through they've been one-sided so that's just one thing but what's really interesting wait, about wait, this when you say covid is the one thing though like covid's the one that jumpstarted this but you could, but then you have Ukraine and that's not necessarily affected by COVID or you have, you're right. Like supply chain was a problem. People having money around to spend money and then not being able to get the things that they want. And then basically overall supply people. Some industries were shutting down the world, shutting down countries and a whole states. I think to your point, ripple effect. Absolutely. I'm not denying that, but it's like ripple how or ripple where or ripple. You could say COVID is one thing and maybe, maybe we do feel the hangover of the ripple, but it's kind of interesting that like, it didn't just like snap its fingers on COVID. It's like COVID happened in 2020. I mean, it's 2022 and we're talking a recession in 23. I, I get like, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't like point, Oh, it was right here. This is what it was. It, it's like, you're talking about a recession basically almost two years in you know, you have whatever quarter it's going to hit Q1 is what I would say. Q123 is where you're going to see it. So that's one thing. I think the biggest word to take out of here is psychology. So when the Fed basically says it's consumer psychology of inflation, 
And that I think is the most fascinating thing about what's happening here. People think we're in one. hmm? Oh, we are. Because it's simply like. We are in one, no matter if you change definition or not. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying the psychology of inflation is now basically ingrained in the consumer. Like that's the, the looking at these two things because we've all gone to the grocery store and we've all basically feel like, wait, I bought three beds of groceries and that was only a, that was $150. Like what the fuck did I buy? Cause I got all, I didn't even buy meat or booze and I had spent 150 bucks. Like what's going on here. And like breaking that is what's difficult because whether you are, you know, someone that's renting a piece of property and you know, you need to raise the rent on them and then the overall renter, they need to basically make it up. So they got to go and ask for wages. It's a perpetual cycle of the psychology of what inflation is doing to people. The fact is that employees need to get paid more and employers need to keep good employees. So it's a very interesting dynamic. And I think I just leave it as like, not that I'm excited, but I'm interested so much to see where this thing goes with low unemployment, uh, need for skilled work, and an inflation rate that it seems to be so basically ingrained in the consumer that it will be a very interesting thing to see where do we have to go to break that psyche to feel like, okay, we don't need to keep raising prices. Cause right now we haven't seen the worst of it yet. It's getting worse. And the irony is you have a supply demand imbalance at the low end and all these tech companies and unicorns are laying people off. So that's, that's an interesting one as well. That has no precedent. Mm-hmm. It's, Leon, I mean, what's up? What's up? So <clears throat> a couple of things. I didn't mean to interject on you there, Mr. Jones, but yes, oh. there are a lot of factors. I think what I was getting at with the COVID is I think the recession was going to happen once the world shut down and how bad it was going to be and when it was going to happen was all determined on what happens after it. So then all these other things started to happen. You have Ukraine, everything. You got energy prices going through the roof and then you know, governments are making decisions to say, well, this is a great time for us to completely turn our, our countries upside down and go as green as possible and make things even worse and keep throwing flames on energy and things that we need the most, which raises the prices on everything. And then you also have, when you talk about psychology, you have people out there um, that just went through this COVID time who said, you know what, working from home is pretty fucking cool. I like that. And then, you know, there's only so many jobs out there that can do it. So then you have uh, this new influx. And the funny thing is, is you got the Fed, a bunch of 85-year-olds or 75 to 85-year-olds trying to guess the psychology of the social media nation, right? So you have a bunch of people out there now that would rather, you know, sit on their ass and bitch on social media about how everything's unfair and not actually go out and get a damn job because their job isn't something that they like or it doesn't allow them to work from home, which a lot of jobs won't let you work from home. It just won't, you know, the typical old style cubicle that office space makes fun of. Sure. Those ones probably could migrate home at some point, but wrench need wrenches need to be turned. uh, Training. Training, Tra- sorry, just training. Interrupt, like training, yeah, anything. You got to go work. Development. Yeah. You got to go work, and and it's and it's it's a big wake up call. And then you know, uh, the call it whatever you want to, but this is a new generation that's coming out with mountains and mountains and mountains of debt, and uh, you know their eyes are giant, and they want the world, and the world doesn't have anything for them. And so when you see these tech jobs start to shrink, the ones that probably were the ones that everyone was looking for the most you got the blue collars blue collars those ones those jobs are going to be out there and they're always going to be out there but they're having trouble filling them because generation z doesn't like to get their hands dirty so we have a huge problem and i think a lot of people are gonna you know be moving back to mom and dad (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of shrinkage which is going to help the housing crisis um one way or another but i'm with you mr jones we haven't even sniffed the worst part of this yet and i think we're gonna have a lot of social unrest that goes along with this one because for the first time there's this massive global um 
you know, I've, I've heard it, you know, mentioned many times that the, you know, the central square is now really, really big and it's pretty easy for you to stand on your soapbox and, and preach your beliefs and, you know, rally. It's really easy to rally people around you if they also feel slighted when they have a mountain of debt and not the job that pays them $150,000 a year to pay it off. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. I think, uh, I think it's funny and I think that the people that write this stuff and um, government on both sides are gaslighting the fuck out of everyone and saying things like soft landing and uh, temporary and transitionary. Who transitory. is fooled? Transitory. Thank you. It's Who the hell is fooled by that? Who's fooled by that? So I'm interested and by in the that. way, that that bubble did burst because I uh, I am currently in the process of trying to sell a house. It's not happening. It's just not happening. Like nothing's selling. We've, there used to be houses on our street uh, that would sell. I mean, within days of going up there, and it was a bidding war. Yeah. Now we've had them out there for. Th- three months no one's touched it and then the house we're trying to sell lowered 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 no one's touching it so it's here it's happened and and the fed's going to keep raising the rate which rightly so they should be doing the problem is they just waited too late and so that metaphorical soft landing they're trying to to prevent they missed (laughs) they missed and they're causing a much worse landing that's my two cents on it Excellent discussion, gentlemen. That wraps up business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. <clears throat> crank file. Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from arrowtime.arrow. This is Arrowtime Hub. Interesting source. We don't usually go to strange publications of this nature, but this one was simply too good to pass up. Dublin Airport received 12,272 noise complaints in 2021 from just one guy. He's dedicated. <laughs> that those shows some, out there that are trying to do back of, the, back of the envelope math, that's 45 minutes per complaint 24 7. <laughs> how do the, uh, yeah, I can't wait to find out how the complaints are coming in. Like, is he just. Is he just texting? Does he have a bot on his computer? Like, what's he doing here? According to local media reports from the individual accounted for 90% of complaints received by the airport operator, Dublin Airport Authority, about aircraft noise due to takeoff and landing at DUB Airport. Same individual, who is believed to be residing in Ongar, located in northwest Dublin, made 6,227 complaints in 2020. Prior to that, Dublin Airport was receiving an average of 1,500 noise complaints each year as international borders opened in early 2022 the same individuals reported to have already filed 5276 complaints for the first three months of 2022 again for you bobs out there that struggle with math he's on target for a 2022 goal of 21104 complaints <laughs> Which is a very impressive 80% increase. The man has you know, exponential growth. That's incredible. You know what we need to do, though? I mean, Dublin Airport doesn't have that kind of traffic. So what is he calling four times per airplane to land or take off? A representative from DAA told Aerotime in an emailed statement that Dublin Airport is committed to working with the industry and other stakeholders to minimize the impact of noise on our neighbors and adjoining communities. DAA responds to each individual complainant regarding their complaint. DAA also added that it has introduced an online tracking device called WebTrack system, which enables local communities to access flight paths and noise levels of aircraft using the airport. System provides information on flight origin, destination, aircraft type, flight path, and noise level registered on the airport's noise monitoring terminals. DAA said that it also provides an additional simplified way for members of the public to submit noise complaints. Does that same method of submission? Sorry to say. We need we need Richard Pryor to step in here. Tell him I said have a coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. Coke and a smile. This reminds me of that dumb takeoff pattern they do at a John Wayne airport in Santa Ana, California. Mm-hmm. How they got to juice up the engines and then basically pop the clutch and take off at vertical. I love mm-hmm. it. That's because it's, folks in Newport it, Beach moved next to an airport so they could complain. 
Well, the same thing happened to Santa Monica. Santa Monica just literally shortened their runway to the point where virtually jets can't land there. That's that's what they did. Yeah, but <laughs> so, if you're in Santa Monica, wouldn't you just go to LAX? Like, what's the difference there? Well, Santa Monica was the lead private uh, uh, airport. No, it's and, it's a nice airport. Um, yeah, it was. Now you it have was, to go to Burbank. Now you or have to go to Van Nuys or Burbank. Yeah, oh, any one of those. Airport tarmac and get a helicopter. It was the same thing like at uh, Migsfield in Chicago, Mayor Daly just, you know, kept trying to shut it down. And obviously it was heavily used because Migs was like right on the lake. Yeah. Right there. It was the best way to get into the city. And in the middle of the night, ran in there with a bunch of bulldozers and just started chipping up the runway because <laughs> he, he couldn't win the legislative battle. So he just said, go in there with bulldozers and chip up the runway and let's just call this. I guess when you I'm can't win taxes, this contest you go after their private planes. Yeah. So it's, it's always hilarious to me that people that move next to airports, enjoy the discounted home they have because they live by an airport and then bitch about the noise that just makes me just laugh my ass off. Good exercise in human nature. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how he submitted them, but we know that he's on track for 21,000 complaints and by my calculations, 2023 is probably going to be somewhere in the order of 37,800 complaints, which is going to be about 103 per day. If I ever make it back to Dublin, I'm looking, I'm looking this guy up. I'm going to try to find him. <laughs> Head over to DUB Airport. I'm a hang out. Like I can't go. I got to turn around and uh, still got to put some complaints in. Well, I mean, this is not Dublin. We'll this go where there's Wi-Fi. National airport, right? This is just a local airport. Uh, this is just a guy hanging out. Know. Dublin is, I mean, it's, it's an airport. I, I assume. Okay. Go to the pub, man. Yeah. Anyway, that wraps up the crank file. Let's get to because Florida. Because Today's Because Florida comes to us from CNN. Real news, people. But you know it's true. Florida bride and caterer charged with lacing wedding food with cannabis. This one comes out of Longwood, Florida. For those of you familiar with the state that looks like a penis, it's just north of Orlando. The article begins, a bride and her caterer are charged with lacing wedding food with marijuana at a community clubhouse. A Florida bride and her wedding caterer have been arrested and accused of lacing wedding food, including lasagna with marijuana and causing several guests to become sick, Mm -hmm. according to their arrest warrant affidavits. Sick from eating too much? Yes, as the old grandmother would say. Mm. Bride, Dania Shea Svoboda, 42, and caterer Jocelyn Bryant, 31, have been charged with culpable negligence, delivery of marijuana, and violating Florida's Anti-Tampering Act. CNN has not been able to reach Savota or Bryant or determine whether they have attorneys. One affidavit alleges Savota agreed to and allowed Jocelyn Bryant to lace the food she served with cannabis unbeknownst to the attendees, many of whom became very ill and required medical attention. So she's not good at lacing as well. No, we're obviously here. not. This, this is not the good medical stuff. This is the paranoid weed. <laughs> the shit the County deputies the Rex, road. <laughs> Am I falling out of this chair? When Seminole County deputies arrived at a community clubhouse in Longwood on February 19th, several wedding guests were being treated by county fire rescue personnel for symptoms consistent with that of someone who has used illegal drugs, according to both affidavits. When a deputy asked Danya and her husband, Andrew Svoboda, whether they had requested or consented to the food containing cannabis, Andrew, quote, stared at the deputy with a blank expression for a few moments before stuttering through a no, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) The affidavit states. Deputies collected food and glassware from the wedding venue that had been used by guests, including a beer glass, lasagna, and desserts. The lasagna later tested positive for THC according to the documents. You know what, though? This is not the first time this has happened. This is just the first time it's happened 
horribly. This is why it's because Florida. This it's shit happens in like California all the time. They just know what they're doing. Everybody wants to see grandma a little extra happy at yeah, the like wedding. A little bit goes a long way, people. Yeah. It's good for her glaucoma. Tests showed at least three guests with positive results. Some guests reported feeling stoned and ill and high. The affidavit says, well, another said he felt weird, tingly, fidgety, and had an extremely dry mouth. <laughs> Sounds to me like mission accomplished. Had a, had a weird hankering for Funyuns. What were we just talking about? <laughs> According to the affidavits, one woman who attended the wedding told an investigator that while she was at the hospital, she felt paranoid and believed her husband wasn't telling her the truth about other family members and that her son-in-law had died and no one was telling her. Oh, the honesty that came out after this wedding. <laughs> she said she became loud and unruly in the emergency room and had to be given medication to calm down. Is this real life? Yeah. You I know, can't feel you, my face. You get a little baked and you start looking across the room going, why does that person hate me? <laughs> Lab tests showed three wedding guests had urine tests that were positive for cannabis, according to the affidavit. One guest told investigators that after she realized she was high, she asked Savota if she had put marijuana in the olive oil. The guest told a deputy Savota answered yes and act excited, according to the documents. However, another guest said when she texted Savota from the hospital asking her what was happening, what she was given, the bride responded, oh, I have no idea. According to court records, that the DJ and Brian have bonded out of Seminole County Jail and will be arraigned in June. Do you think that the DJ was just playing Manamana from Muppets on oh, loop? Oh, fuck you. Yes. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> yes. That's my dream right there. <laughs> and on a constant <laughs> loop with, this song's going to get stuck inside your head. <laughs> It's that or so I got peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. People are just losing their minds. Well, the fun part here is she giggled when she was talking to a friend, but when she was talking to a relative, she played dumb, which says to me that this was targeted at the in laws. (laughs) That wraps up because Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's the mileage. Tonight's parenting segment comes to us from an old article that was dug up from the archives coming from November of 2019, back in the normal times. This one comes from (laughs) MIT Technology Review. Science, people. The reason that I thought it was interesting is because this came out in November of 2019 and then virtually disappeared during lockdown because everybody was playing video games. The article begins, video game addiction is now being recognized. What happens next? Like millions of kids in the 1980s, Scott Jennings played video games. Sometimes he'd play a little too much, filling up an afternoon with short bouts of Pac-Man or Space Invaders. He grew out of his childhood hobby when he went to college and didn't play for another 10 years. After graduation, he landed a job as a software developer and was doing pretty well. But his drinking started spiraling out of control. When he began to drink in the morning, it scared him so much that he found help. He entered Alcoholics Anonymous, got sober. Five or six years later, life was good. He learned to live with his illness, abstaining from alcohol completely, stayed away from activities that could be addictive. A friend who liked to go to casinos would invite him along, and he would say, nope, not going to go. But he's never heard of gaming addiction. Warning signs were all there. Behaviors from his drinking days were back. He grew obsessive, thinking about games all the time. He played when he should have been sleeping. He'd intend a five-minute break from work and play for two hours. In the first few years of recovery, it's normal for people to find substitute obsessions. Jennings watched a lot of TV, spent many hours online chat rooms, binged on porn and Ben and Jerry's. All these escapist numbing behaviors were temporary crutches. He figured gaming was another. I thought it would burn out on its own after a while, but it didn't. What is it about games that some people find addictive or is what looks like gaming addiction simply a symptom of an underlying problem, such as depression. Scientists are trying to make sense of the psychological effects of video games, but despite the large number of players seeking help with a hobby that has them hooked, 
and extreme cases of ruining their lives, there's little agreement about what video game addiction is, or even if it is the thing. Okay. I think is, is it really, is it really that hard? It, it's better than real life. It's that's why like you don't have to, you don't need a fucking degree from MIT to figure that one out. Uh, let winning. me see. I'm going to be a, I'm a big fat slob who can't run a 440 period. Uh, what am I going to do? Oh, well, I'm going to be a giant ogre and I'm going to dominate everybody and uh, in this world. And it makes me feel good and powerful. It's, I mean, would people be addicted to that? Yeah. Everyone's always addicted to feeling, feeling important, feeling powerful, feeling good at something. Okay. I just think it's, it predicates the basically the fact is that people take things to the extreme. This is an obsessive, you know, people that are alcohol, either are escaping something, which plays to Leon's point of falling into something that they can be good at. And the other side is like, you're winning. You find friendship, you find camaraderie, you, I mean, all of these things kind of all play in there that basically pulls you into this world. We'll use the word uh, metaverse so that you basically you know, have commonality. It's a comfortable place to be. And it becomes an overall obsession. Am I wrong? You get, to live you get to live dangerously with no repercussions. That, I think Pretty that's much. a key part of it, Leon. There's certainly a dopamine hit that you get out of it because you get yeah. instant feedback. And there is something about once you die, you don't die. You just start over. Respawn. So it's really good for making mistakes, learning and improving because that's kind of how you want to do things in life. And maybe even at work is fail small, fail fast. And that's basically the essence of video games. <clears throat> um, but I've noticed that the reason this is in the parenting segment is I've noticed it in my boys. When I try and tear them away from Minecraft, like oh. they would rather peel their skin off. And that's mm -hmm. as, as a parent, I'm concerned because I see elements of that in me. I'll sit down and I'll play you know, if it was an Arkham game or Assassin's Creed, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll play those games for hours. Yeah, me too. So nope. there's a serious danger to it because you get locked into it. And, and video games by nature, I think, are a time suck. I've got some of those old classic Nintendo games on our Wii, and I'll play those games for hours too. So it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the graphics or even the gameplay, I think. It's just that reoccurring... Yeah, I mean, you get good at it. So, well. I guess let's get back to the point of this is a parenting. When is a parent, you find it then to be addictive. When is it? When it becomes harmful. When their attitude changes to the point, like Danny was saying there that you like, you can't peel them away. They have a nasty attitude when you try to, if they're not getting their work done, they're not doing their chores, homework, can't concentrate. You know. Yeah. They're 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 hyper focused only on that thing. And no, not I mean I think, I think television in general causes their brain to swell, but the natural feedback response that they get from video games is if I press this, I get an action, and that feedback loop I think is a lot more addictive than simply watching television. And so what you get out of it is, hold on, I'm I'm almost done. You know, if if they're watching a television show, you know the show's going to end in six minutes. You can say, all right, as soon as the credits pop up, when you see words on the screen, that means this episode is over. There is a natural end to a television show. But in the game, the game keeps going on purpose. And that's what causes problems is kids and even adults don't know how to set artificial boundaries to say, okay, I'm done. And even as an adult, and Leon can probably... Uh, speak to this as well as I'll set a timer. I get to play mm -hmm. this game for an hour. Mm -hmm. you have if you're to. not paying attention, next thing you know, it's 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. So the reason that I bring it up as an official disorder, according to the World Health Organization, is this is a thing. Um, the article doesn't mention it, but I remember an article about a kid in South Korea that killed his mom because she shut off the Wi-Fi trying to get him to stop. Oh, that was a while that, ago. Do you That's remember pretty that? severe. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Look, you're going to have those stories. But... Soul, who's in his mom's basement, he killed her because she killed the Wi Fi. It's probably happened in Florida. Yeah, but he was, he was right there. 
He was right there when she killed it. She should not have killed the Wi-Fi. <laughs> you dark son of a bitch. <laughs> I was about to level up. Mom. God damn it. No. You don't understand uh, what you've so done. The article goes on. If the concern about video games is nothing but a moral panic, the WHO's announcement adds fuel to it and risks stigmatizing the millions of people who play games as part of a normal, healthy lifestyle. And I believe that that sounds like something that, that Leon would caution is you don't want to stigmatize it as a problem for people that don't have a problem. If you know how to shut the game off and go away and live your life, that's fine. Again, what we're talking about here is the word addiction. And the idea is addiction means you cannot stop. You know, most people who have trouble with alcohol are not alcoholics. It's the same thing with gaming. Kids can get in all kinds of trouble with it, but that doesn't mean they're developed an addiction. On the flip side, you risk telling people with an actual addiction problem that cutting down might help instead of giving them the support that they need. And so the part that it interests me about parenting is you want to be very cognizant of the time and the commitment that your kids give to their games. My kids run upstairs to play Minecraft after school. Now, I like Minecraft. I love the creativity that's involved. I love watching them build, destroy, and build again. There's a lot of lessons in, in failing and learning there. The challenge that I have with it is when I tell them, okay, time's up, I have to go block the television, turn it off, or rip the controllers out of their hands. And that, to me, is a problem. There's a lot of ways to kind of take this. And the Minecraft thing, I don't even know what it is, to be honest. I just know that it, kids are obsessed by it. You'll, you'll learn eventually, which there's also Roblox. There's also Fortnite. There's also mm -hmm. any of the other games that the adults play, like Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed or the Arkham series or Gears of War or the Uncharted franchise. There's all kinds of games. And by virtue of the way they design these things is they want it to be addictive, which is how they sell the game, which I get it. Mm -hmm. No problem. No, I get that. I get that. I'm an Uncharted fan. Um, what's interesting though, is I'll, I'll end this segment with, there is a computer gaming addicts anonymous CGAA. New members are expected Nerds. to commit to quitting games entirely. The group meets mostly via conference calls, which is a game, but oh, people try to set up in-person <laughs> meetings if they can. CGAA runs an email list for around 200 cities, alerting people to groups in their area. Yet with only a few hundred members in total, it's hard to arrange meetups, even in large cities like New York. Usually only three to five people turn up, but the word is slowly spreading. So if you have a problem, it's a problem. Don't ignore it. Final yeah. thoughts. It's funny how the article's from 2019, but I think even five years from now, it's still relevant. It's always going to be relevant. I, I mean, you could even go back to when we were playing like the original Nintendo and it just came how, out with Super Mario Bros. 3. How many hours did you play Mario Kart through college? I never played oh, Mario Kart. Too many. Never. Mm -hmm. Um, it was for me, it was Grand Theft Auto and okay. I got so baked and played that all the yeah, time or Stony Tony. I mean, there was, there was a oh, Stony Tony and the music soundtrack was perfect. There was a game that we played relentlessly because you had golden eye or yeah, classic. That's a classic. Sure. So if it's a problem and you're a parent and you're watching your children descend into the abyss, make sure you catch them. You can try and educate them if they're old enough to understand. Because I think my 10-year-old's old enough, but my 7-year-old is not. So I simply have to lock up the controllers, meter it out to him, and when it's time, have a conversation about, now it's time to put it away. You can play with it later. But the, the dangers of addiction and everything that comes with it officially apply to video. And so, without further ado. Oh, I've waited for this. It's time for Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. Do you like pork, Danny? Do you enjoy pork products? What man don't dig on swine? Tonight's Loathe is about pork. And I'm going to <laughs> delicately tip my toes into dangerous waters but it's not the delicious salty bacon type pork it's the pork that gets strapped in and backdoored into the bills that congress 
shoves down our throats. And I know I am I am in dangerous waters talking about anything that's political, but I think that this is a very nonpartisan conversation. It's one that I don't know how Americans have tolerated for as long as they have. And where it really came to light and frustrated me in this last week was the burn pit bill that just came out, just got accepted. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. If you're on social media at all, I'm sure you saw John Stewart ranting about it. Everything he's saying is absolutely correct. I even I even saw his uh, his burn pit special on his brand new show. That was that was good. I uh, saw that. It was really good. And and everything he says is absolutely right. And these things are absolutely bipartisan. No brainers. Yes, everybody wants to take care of these veterans. In my opinion, you take care of veterans first and everybody else second, right? These people went out and fought and, you know, damaged their lives, their brains, their bodies, came back, protect our country, you know, from protecting our country. We need to take care of them no matter what. And I really don't think there's that many people. I think this is a pretty easy slam dunk when it comes to are we going to support our veterans uh, across the country? Nobody would vote no. What's my issue is, is that people take these no-brainer, must-have bills. I mean, we're talking about basics. We're talking about children's health. We're talking about, I mean, veterans who went to war or didn't go to war, just were stationed and breathed in horrible stuff and have issues with it. Everyone goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going for this. Like, obviously the house and and the Senate, they don't like each other. They're cut down the middle. They never agree on anything, but this one's a pretty slam dunk thing. So one would think an uh, easy way to try to bring this country together is to throw a softball like this and let it go through our legislative process. Instead, it doesn't matter. I'm, it doesn't matter whose side it is. They both do it. They find something that's a slam dunk, a bleeding heart issue. And they slap this pork that has nothing to do with the bill whatsoever on it. And then they send it to vote. And if the people on the other side don't vote for it, well, you're a scumbag. You really enjoy when babies have cancer. I think, I guess you guys love cancer babies. I love, you love when veterans are bleeding and coughing up blood. That's great. You guys voted it down instead of actually addressing the issue, which was, why didn't you, this last bill, I don't know if you, you have heard all the buzz about it, but for almost $400 billion of that bill was pork. It was designated for discretionary spending. It mm -hmm. had nothing to do with the name of the bill or veterans whatsoever. If they would have taken that 400 billion and just moved it to the left and said, that's also going to veterans. I think it would have been 100%. Why they have to do this, why we've accepted this as a practice, why we haven't, as a mob, come down on our legislators and said, you can't keep doing this, slapping this stuff on the side that you know would never make it on its own because its merit is garbage and attaching it to something that needs to be done so badly is such horseshit. It's such unbelievable horseshit, and we all have to stand for it. Sometimes they call it a poison pill because they meant to do it on purpose just to make the other political party look bad one way or the other. Or sometimes they're really just trying to fund something that would have never been funded otherwise and using these poor dying veterans as an excuse to be able to fund this bullshit issue. Now, I get how bills that are somewhat controversial I'll give you this if you give me that. They're kind of close. And, you know, that's how compromise works. I'm not stupid. I understand how compromise works. But when they're slam dunk things like this and they have to slap it on there, it's, a, it's an absolute slap in the face of everybody in the American landscape that has to pay for this bullshit because everybody's fooled. Everybody's pissed. The people we actually wanted to benefit from it aren't going to benefit from it. And we all flooded the bill and we're tricked because people aren't educated enough to understand why some people would have voted the bill down. And some people would have voted it in because the bills are hundreds of pages long. Who reads it and who, who understands legalese anyway, except for the people that work for these people that are voting in the bills and, and, you know, can actually line out 
okay, well, this, this 300 million is going to this and this 600 million is going to this. And, oh, wait a minute, 400 billion is discretionary spending? There's nothing to do with this. I'm just irritated. Again, I don't have a solution other than we need to fucking put an end to it. A bill needs to be a bill for a single cause. Period. Full stop. Thoughts. Good rant, Leon. Uh, I got nothing on that one. If you're going to bash the government, I'm in. Especially if you're going to bash members of the legislative branch, I'm in. The only thing I would say, if I had to say something, because I want to give Jay a chance here. Voting records are public. You can find out how your representative or your senator voted. If you agree with 51% of what they did versus the candidate running against them, then yeah, it's the evil of two lessers, but you don't like it? Run for office. I got nothing for you. That's exactly it. I think all bills, if I was to rule the world, which we all know would be a better place if I did, (laughs) if I was to rule the world, all bills that come through have to have a clear formatted balance sheet that labels what the money is going to and who is getting it. And then every, I mean, it's got to be, if it's more than one page on 12 point font, it's the bill's too big. Break it down. The bill's too big. Oh, you live in a wishful utopia, sir. It does not work that way. <laughs> Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, you work in a big business. I'm sure you've had to do budget report. Have you ever had to do a budget meeting? Have you ever had to go in and no, talk to executives no. and pitch a budget? I, I have. I don't, and I, I don't work in that. I don't work in that field. I don't have to I do have. that kind of stuff. I've gone but in. I do have to represent like how much money I'm going to make on something. And I have to represent that. And okay, so I well, have to part push of it, right? It's, it, it, it fits your, it's basically justifying how much revenue I can get. In my old job where I had to go pitch my budget to executives and they all sat around a table, including the CFO. And I mm-hmm. said, this is what I want to do. And this is why I want to do it. I would like to spend, uh, 2 million on this. And I would like to spend 10 million on this. And I want to spend 5 million on this. And these are the returns I'm going to get. And then I also want 20 million, just discretionary. Do you know what they would fucking tell me? Do you know what they would fucking tell me? Yet all of us Americans, we just, Oh, Oh, okay. Vote it in. Yeah. yeah, We'll just print more money. It's all good. Look, no, I'll tell, I'll tell you what's really funny is it. It's really tougher. Businesses to live on a budget and the government is the worst because they just go back and print more money. So I don't know what to tell you. It yeah, it doesn't work. I, I could I could tell you what it is. It's eight point one nine point two inflation. That's what happens. No, that's not the fucking reason. Print money <laughs> because we're print print money. money is not the reason why we have inflation. Trust it's me. It's a reason. Is, it's a reason. It was one, but I think it's a smaller. It's a smaller, in my opinion. Fair enough. It's my. Uh, let me uh, let me wrap this one up because this was a good one. Uh, I, I think as a closing statement, sunlight is the best disinfectant, people. The one thing that the government is afraid of is an informed voter. So if you look at a voting record. Thank you, Kansas. And you ask a representative a 50-50 question, which is yes or no, black or white, up or down, and you force them to pick a side because politicians are very good at wiggling around in the gray. If you can get a candidate to force an answer one way or the other, then you'll get an idea of where their values are and how they feel they're representing their constituency, which is you. So the best way to get rid of them is to tell them this will not stand. We are paying attention. Good news is a little silver lining in all of this is that Generation Z and Generation Alpha, while dealing with mental health problems, probably brought on by the pandemic, are probably one of the most informed generations politically in a long time. Thank you, TikTok. And I see that as a ray of hope. (laughs) Let's get on to the bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! This one's on brand as we close out the show tonight, boys. When alcohol is used in cooking, it takes about three hours for the alcohol content to completely cook off. Hmm. So if you're cooking with a wine sauce, guess what? You're having wine. I did not know that. And who doesn't want wine? No, and I want to know. How much longer it takes to get the THC to basically burn off? Because that's the real question. <laughs> yeah. Can I go to the weed wedding? I would, ask, ask Florida. I would, be, I would be dancing to James Brown and United States of whatever all night. <laughs> Happy times. Boys, that's our show. All you Bobs out there, thank you for joining us tonight. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air. 
give us ideas for content or refute anything we say, because there's a lot of experts out there and, uh, you know, we have opinions and we share them, but sometimes we may be wrong. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We want you to find other Bobs out there that might like what we're putting out there because we're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel, bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>